The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday, 18th of July. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... What's the latest on Marcus Rashford's future at Manchester United? I'm told that he turned down a number of more lucrative approaches to stay with Manchester United. Will Bernardo Silva be a Manchester City player next season? City are really desperate not to lose him. And will FIFA listen to criticisms from the Australia women's team? They're financially incentivized to keep investing. And if FIFA responds to anything, it's financial incentives. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Marcus Rashford looks set to sign a new five-year contract with Manchester United, tying him to Old Trafford until 2028. The 25-year-old forward enjoyed the most prolific season of his career in 2022-23, scoring 30 goals in all competitions as he flourished under new manager Eric Ten Hag. His current contract expires next summer, but Rashford has now committed his future to United. An agreement has been reached in principle and brings to an end months of negotiations. To find out more about the deal and how United's transfer business is progressing this summer, I'm joined by the man who broke this story for The Athletic, David Ornstein. David, this is great news for United. What can you tell us about the contract? So Manchester United have now finally reached an agreement in principle with Marcus Rashford over a new long-term contract. That contract, as I understand it, will span five years and commit him to United until the summer of 2028. It's a huge development for the club, but this will come as a huge relief. All expectations are that he will put pen to paper and give Manchester United a huge boost. I'm told that he turned down a number of more lucrative approaches to stay with Manchester United. It seems negotiations haven't been that straightforward. Why did the deal take so long to agree? Well, there will always be multiple factors when situations like this become prolonged and extended. The negotiation, you have to get the right terms. Rashford was in a powerful position the longer it went on because his form has been fantastic. And in the summer of 2024, he stood to become a free agent. Manchester United had already exercised the option they had in his previous terms. And then Manchester United had a lot going on, of course. They've got a lot of uncertainty over their ownership situation, and that will have an effect on finances. Everything at Manchester United uh, needs to gain approval from Joel Glazer on behalf of the Glazer family. There's always a lot of back and forth. And in a negotiation like this, there will be offers, counter offers. And so it's easier said than done. We're talking a massive deal for both Manchester United and Marcus Rashford. With Rashford signed up and Andre and Arna close to joining, what can you tell us about United's summer business? They've already bought Mason Mountain quite early and efficiently, and they're very close to completing the signing of Andre Anana from Inter Milan. Personal terms have been agreed, and so it leaves the third and arguably the most important priority, but these things don't necessarily happen in chronological order, being a new number nine. So Manchester United are exploring the market and their options, and it feels like the most realistic target right now 
might be Rasmus Hoyland of Atalanta. But of course, they're going to have to make the numbers work on that. It depends on the Glazer family, the budgets available, complying with financial fair play. We do know they need to shift players this summer, but we don't know how much they need to raise. Certainly, though, their work on a day-to-day basis continues and it will be focusing on a centre-forward. Manchester City are stepping up their efforts to keep Bernardo Silva at the Etihad this summer, but teammate Riyad Mahrez is close to leaving the club and could become the latest high-profile player to move to Saudi Arabia. Silva, who himself has been approached by a Saudi Arabian club with Al-Hilal expressing an interest in the 28-year-old Portuguese player last month, recently cast doubt on his Man City future by saying he would discuss his plans at the end of the season. As reported by the Athletic City correspondent Sam Lee, the club are keen not to lose Silva, Mares, and Ilkay Gundogan in the same transfer window. Mares is edging nearer to a 30 million move to Al Ali, while Kyle Walker's future is also in doubt with Bayern Munich interested in signing the 33-year-old fullback. Sam joins us now for the very latest on all things City. Sam, what's happening with Bernardo Silva? Will he still be a City player next season? Ideally, he'd want to move to Barcelona. That has been on the cards in the last couple of years, but for their various financial problems, it's not really happened. And so this summer, it's kind of left with a choice of PSG, if they can get round to being fully interested and make an offer. And then obviously, he has got a big offer from Al-Hilal in Saudi Arabia. Now, I've been told that's £75 million a year, which is... You know, well over a million pounds a week, which is mind-boggling. But City are really desperate not to lose him. You know, if they lose Riyad Mahrez, then they don't have any options on the right wing, and they are hopeful at the moment that he's not going to leave. But obviously, it's a, an ever-changing situation. Mahrez was a key player at times last year, but he's pretty close to leaving for Saudi Arabia. He's more open to to taking that than Bernardo is, and so we're in a situation where. He's looking likely to leave. Uh, I don't think City particularly want him to go, but they recognise that he's got this offer, he wants to, um, and for that reason, they're not going to stand in his way. Um, They should get decent money. Um, But either way, you know, City, they're going to get some money for him. He wants to go, so that's a a transfer that's most likely going to happen now, barring some kind of U-turn. And what's the latest on Carl Walker? Any developments there? Yeah, so the Carl Walker one kicked off right at the start of City's summer, just after the Champions League final. Uh, We reported on The Athletic that he was um, set to join Bayern Munich. Since then, City don't want to lose him. They've offered him a two-year contract. They've tried to show him how valued he is. They've offered him more money. I think they've offered him more money than what he could get at Bayern Munich. But even so, last week he gave his approval to Bayern's offer. But as it stands, as far as I know, he's been keen on that Bayern move for four or five weeks now, at least. He's told Bayern he wants it. And now it's just about working through that with City this week. Now they're back for pre-season training later than everyone else because the end of their season finished later. And then they'll have to work that through. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. On the eve of the start of the Women's World Cup, which kicks off on Thursday, co-hosts Australia have criticised the gender disparity in prize money offered by the tournament. Every member of the Australia squad appeared in a video released yesterday in which the players pointed out that FIFA only offers women one quarter of the prize money offered to their male equivalents at the Men's World Cup. 
the 2023 tournament will be the biggest Women's World Cup in history, with 32 nations competing in Australia and New Zealand, and prize money five times as big as the last tournament in 2019. Australia have called for the total prize money, which will be around £80 million or US$110 million, to increase further in line with the men's game, and also voiced concerns at governing bodies over treatment of other international women's sides. Women's football writer Steph Young is out in Melbourne to cover the tournament for The Athletic, and she joins me now. Steph, this was a high-profile move from the Australian players right on the eve of the tournament, but will FIFA listen to them? FIFA doesn't historically have a great record of listening, but all the same, they have done things like expanding this tournament to 32 teams, increasing prize money. It was $30 million in France to $110 million, doing direct payments to players. And I know FIFA has invested here on the ground on things like uh, practice pitches. And as we've seen with them recently, uncoupling the women's broadcast rights from men's broadcast rights, they're financially incentivized to keep investing. And if FIFA responds to anything, it's financial incentives. They highlighted concerns of other nations too. So why are so many teams at this tournament having rows with their own federations? When it comes to so many teams at this tournament having conflicts with their own federations, you know, Nigeria, Canada, Jamaica, um, one of the players' moms starting a crowdfunding on GoFundMe, South Africa protesting the inadequate conditions of their send-off game and having a pay dispute. And then obviously, you know, very serious allegations, a report in The Guardian of allegations of sexual misconduct uh, against Zambia's head coach, Bruce Mwape. You know, I think what we're seeing is that there's a growing sense of the power of the players to protest, a growing sense of the power of labor here as the financial incentives grow for FIFA. I think so, too, does the bargaining power of the players because there's more money at stake. Um, I also credit a lot of the work being done at FIFRO. The director of global policy and strategic relations, Sarah Gregorius, a former football fern herself, she's been pretty tireless in her work educating people and promoting issues of equitable treatment in the women's game. So I think we're definitely not going to see the last of these issues as the tournament starts. We heard from Meg Linehan in New Zealand yesterday saying excitement was really building ahead of the tournament. How is it in Melbourne, Steph? Is the tournament catching people's attention ahead of the big kickoff? World Cup fever in Melbourne is honestly not as strong as I'd like it to be. Admittedly, I haven't been all over the city yet, but I've been around a fair amount of areas. And there's lots of signage around Amy Park or Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, as FIFA labels it. And there was a lot of signage at the airport immediately when you arrive. But I've honestly seen more stuff scattered through the city from sponsors like Nike, like uh, billboards. There's a really cool mural of Alana Kennedy going up on the side of a building in Richmond. And I wish there were more directives to local organizers that they need to really saturate their host cities for awareness. Could they be doing a better job? Yes, always. Great. Thanks, Steph. Don't forget, we've got comprehensive coverage on The Athletic of the Women's World Cup, which starts on Thursday with Australia and New Zealand both in action. Right, a quick look at where you can watch football on TV tonight. Yes, there are games on. Man City may have won the Champions League 38 days ago, but the 2023-24 competition kicks off later with Maccabi Haifa v Hamrun being screened on TNT Sports, which is the new look version of BT Sport. Elsewhere, Spurs are playing West Ham in a pre-season friendly, which is being shown on CBS Sports Network in the US, while Rangers v Newcastle is on Fox. 
Both of these games are also being shown on the club's respective websites. Okay, that's it from us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe. And if you could drop us a review too, that'd be great. I'm Tim Spears and the Daily Football Briefing will be back tomorrow. The Athletic.